What it also does is kind of expose when people think they're putting in the work. You send a text message to everyone and you consider that a one-on-one. That's not putting in the work to dismantle racism or to, to get an understanding of the lives that your student athletes live. So you stop short and now it's like, you know what? He's right, I didn't put in the work. I thought that post on social media was enough. I thought me sharing this link was enough. It's not enough. And I think because he got, you know, not necessarily caught like, you know, red handed, but essentially, yes, you got caught. And now you're, you have a lint like a magnifying glass on what the work actually looks like. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow, and joining me this week is a former podcast partner of mine, actually. I'm always thrilled when I can have somebody on that I used to be on a podcast with. I have like oddly a high amount of those types of people, but (laughs) (laughs) former podcast partners, which just shows like how precarious the podcasting business can kind of be. And I'm I'm glad that I'm still doing this podcast, but I'm even more glad that I can have Jasmine Fritz on with me. Jasmine is um has become basically an integral part, in my opinion, of the sports shop. Just say it. I didn't want to be like (laughs) contributor because I felt like that's not telling the full story. And Jasmine um, is a triangle uh, media member like me. Um, And the the sports shop is on Buzz Sports Radio here locally. And you can stream that, by the way, on WRALsportsfan.com. It's the only uh, minority sports show, frankly. I mean, I, I can't think of any others in yeah it's like uh the way reese my co-host uh says it they're the only black led like morning drive sports talk show like in the state or at all he says in the country oh my god you know he's probably right wow that's crazy um yeah and there's even fewer by the way with with black hosts that didn't play college sports. One mm-hmm. of them did. Um, K-Mac did, but still. It's, no, Reese, Reese played Oh, wait, Reese sports. did too. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. I forgot about that. I knew that and forgot. They both played college sports. I <laughs> Reese is in the, the Hall of Fame for his school. Okay. I compl- Don't tell him. That I'm I said definitely going to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? That's okay. When we end this podcast, I'm calling him. No. Oh, he's going to be so mad at me. Yeah, I've had... um, I used to do... Well, Jasmine and I used to do a podcast together called Topics and Takes, which has taken on many iterations. I did it. It's still up on WRL Sports Fan if you go under podcasts. Um, I really enjoyed the ones I did with Jasmine, especially though, because we just sort of would get in there and chop it up about the issues of the day, honestly. and, and give our thoughts and, you know, hopefully try to educate people and, and, you know, educate ourselves sometimes too. I know I learned a lot just from talking to her and, and, you know, talking some of these things out. Cause sometimes you think you have a well thought out opinion on something and you, you know, you hear some of the other points and you're like, huh, I didn't even think about that. And, um, I, uh, that was my favorite iteration to do with her, but I also did a format briefly. Well, for like a year actually, so not too briefly, where I, I talked to media members and I and I sat down with both Errol and K Mac individually mm-hmm. and talked about you know their journey and being um, black sports show hosts that have really worked to amplify um, all kinds of voices, but especially black female voices, which I think is really important that that there's not a lot of space for in today's sports media landscape, and um, they've they've got an eye for talent and I think they've really picked up and amplified the voices of some people that, um, you know, are up and comers I'd like to think and and hope in in our business because they're good at what they do. So, um, and that includes you, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) I'm so glad they brought me on and thank you for having me on your podcast here. Yeah. And Jasmine also, just for some perspective, Jasmine is somebody who, um, over the last couple of years, especially, what would you say, like three years now, maybe has been yeah, covering I'm going, into my, going into my third year. Yeah. 
She's really, I mean, look, when you do a radio show sometimes and and you've been around a while, you don't always want to go to all of these games as a media member. I get it. I've been there. (laughs) So, uh, you know, Reese and K-Mac have sort of often given that credential that they have to people that are regular contributors on their show. And Jasmine's somebody that has used that to her advantage. And she's done, uh, I guess you do, you know, you interview players, you do mostly video stuff. You don't do a a ton of writing but you can i know you've done it right. before yeah um, so we we use my like i'll go to the games and i'll uh kind of gather content for our show for the next day for our di- digital spaces um just kind of making sure our show just has the the content that it needs to get the stories yeah. out there yeah and you know she's if you follow her, tell people where they can follow you too if they don't already because you get all kinds of video that sometimes um oh, other yeah. people don't <laughs> Right. Yeah. So if you want to get, you know, the content I put out there at the girl Fritz on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. And and she's, I feel like your most viral video maybe was like the bug smashing incident. (laughs) That was was so funny. I I can't, it was, I think it was like Louisville beating, uh, was it the Louisville game? I I think you're right. Cause it was an apt metaphor. Yeah, yeah, it was something like that where the players are running back into the locker room and they like smash this big bug. And I think Carolina just took a beating that night and they were like, yeah, see, that's a uh, that's very, very spot on. Yeah, was it was it, it was perfectly apt. And it was, you know, you, you do have a knack for kind of capturing <laughs> those types of things. And you take pictures as well, which have gotten yeah. be- better and better. I know you've been oh, trying I'm to kind of... Oh, I'm in my bag. When it comes yeah, to sports yeah. photography, like, I am not, like, trained in any of it. It's, it's mostly like a, a trial and error and experience kind of thing where I'm getting, like, better and better at it. But, yeah, sports photography has become, like, you know, so now instead of you know, the pictures that accompany my posts coming from my phone, they're coming from my camera, just better quality. You get a lot of good stuff. Be girl Fritz. That's right. <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, y'all need to follow. Yeah, you, get, you, get it, you get it all. She's a multi, multi-tool player, uh, yeah. di- diverse skill set. That'd be like your scouting report, I guess, right. if we were, if we were doing it. But, yeah. And you know, what's interesting is I, I, with everything that's been going on, obviously, after the death of George Floyd and so many others that didn't, you know, didn't seemingly ignite everybody the way this one did, I think maybe combined with Breonna Taylor and and Mm -hmm. with Ahmaud Ahmaud Aubrey and just everything else in kind of a short succession, it felt like of us finding out, um, I think, and combined with the pandemic too, I think it's been just this confluence of events that's kind of led us to where we are at this moment in time. And it does feel like this important historical moment. And I, you know, I've wrestled with a lot of things this week. I'm sure you've wrestled with way more. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I, I even in a weird way, I wrestled with having, not having you on individually, but just how to address this. Like, do I invite a black person on this podcast to, to try to be the person who, who has to explain this to everybody and, 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 and be the one to put that burden, you know, to put the burden on you essentially as like, Hey, Hey, you're a black person in media. Why don't you come on and tell me, tell us all why this matters. So I I wanted you, if you could, I know you've been on various outlets and, and some outlets to be fair that have had you on before, but, Right. To, to talk about stuff like this. I mean, I, I can only identify in the sense that when there's a domestic violence incident or something, you know, oh, mm-hmm. let's get Lauren on to talk about it. Um, right. the, the resident woman. And um, I don't resent that and I'm OK with it. But at the same time, there is this whole thing of like, well, why don't why don't you just explain it to people in your voice why it's bad and wrong instead of me having to be the one? I, I, I guess, what are sort of your feelings on that? Have you found yourself conflicted at all when it comes to all of this and, and being given, you know, a platform and, and being asked to sort of, for lack of a better word, explain things to people right now? Yeah. Um, I think it, back when I was in college, I took a course on race and representation. And one of the most striking things I learned was what the burden of representation held for people like me. And there's going to be an ever-present burden of representation. I'm a black woman. Like, you got everything on your shoulders. You have to say the right things. You have to know. You can't. It's almost like you just can't be 
fallible. Like you just can't, you have to be on at all times. And so whether that's something that will never go away for me, I think I choose, I pick and choose when I'm going to be up for that work, I think. So when it comes to protests, I left my media, everything at the door. When I was out there in downtown Raleigh, I went down there as a black woman protesting police brutality and social injustice. The, mm-hmm. the you know, a couple of nights later, when we spoke to uh, North Carolina Central men's head basketball coach Lavelle Moten, I was working and still, you know, tell, talking with him, interviewing, telling a story about what black people have to go through in this country. So I think for me, whether, you know, I guess it's more so like if I'm up for that work, that's what I'm going to do. I don't mind having to be that person that explains things. I've shied away from certain comments or not comments, but certain conversations that I just did not feel I was not in the headspace to have. And I think that's important for, for media members who are black or or women who have to deal with um, sexism in the workplace, like for them to recognize when it's not, when they're not in the place to have those conversations or to take on that burden. Um, that's kind of how I approach it. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know if that's right or wrong. That's just kind of like what I'm doing and we'll see. Well, it's right for you. Right. right? Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is, is it right for you? And you have to do it, you know, it's right for you. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm honored that you, you know, felt like this was a good place to have a conversation with me and, and, you know, I, I, that's yeah. I appreciate that very much <laughs> because I know you know it, it Lavelle actually um, I reached out to his SID mm-hmm. as well to see if he would want to have a conversation down the road and his SID had said you know he's a little he he kind of needs a break and I immediately yeah. understood that you know and I think that's something that's worth for all of us to remember, you know, for white people to remember too, is like, sometimes people just need a break and, and just need to, you know, he's been on all kinds of outlets lately. And, um, I think that's okay too, obviously for people to just say, look, I, I, I need a break. I'm, I, you know, cause you're digesting this all happening in real time and feeling yeah. this pain and, the, and then having to go, like you said, not be fallible and, and like explain it to people, um, and, and not crack. And, and I can't imagine having to do that in your position. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's just something I try and be aware of. And, you know, if I can, I will. And if I can't, I'll tell you I can't. That's good. That's good. It's yeah, it's. Um, so you mentioned being at the protest. There were some I know you weren't there as a media member. And I, I think I, I'm pretty sure I saw this elsewhere. And I think you mentioned it at one point. But um, I don't know if you were there the same day as Jack White. No, no. So I was out there Saturday or the Sunday or Saturday. I can't really remember um, day. And there were just other protests following that where he was spotted out the night. I think he was spotted at the Raleigh protest. I was actually at the Durham protest. Oh, and and I saw Joey Baker there, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I knew you had spotted at least one player because I remembered mm-hmm. that I, I hadn't seen any pictures of Joey, but I saw a picture of Trey Jones, who was out there from yeah. Duke, obviously. Um, Jack White, Nolan Smith was out there in Durham, mm-hmm. I believe, yeah, as well at that. one point. Yeah. yeah, and 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 Joey, and and I thought, you know, that's so. It's not that I God, see now I'm stumbling around about it, but like it's it's great to see athletes out there and athletes of all races, not just black athletes out there to protest, um, but white ones, too. I think it's important that they show their solidarity, you know, with their teammates, even if they're not with their teammates at that moment. You know, I thought that said yeah. a lot to just see Jack sort of out there with his own, you know, with his friends. I didn't see him out yeah. there with his teammates. He was out there by himself because he just thought it was important and um that I well yeah. you know I I you, I love Jack White so right. I, was, <laughs> well, I was like it's always nice to see it validated that like somebody that you like a lot uh, that you talk to in the in the media room that it's yeah. like oh look they're out here doing something good so yeah and a lot of the challenges that have been put out into in social media and extended to white Americans is that we do need you know their support and it's showing up and it's it's doing different things and I think attending protests is one of those ways earlier mm-hmm. in the week we spoke to associate head coach at uh, Duke 
for Duke men's basketball, Nate James. And he said, well, I asked him, you know, what does it feel like when you see your, your players and former players out there protesting? What do you think about that? And he said, it's a two-part thing. You know, it feels good because, you know, they try and set their player, their athletes up for success and teaching them everything that they need to know about going out into the world. And so it did feel good that he saw the support, but he said, it's also, I'm like a parent. I'm worried for my kids. And so I thought that that was, you know, interesting to hear him say that he, while he did appreciate them going out there and supporting, he still was worried. And that's a fear that, um, or that's a feeling that a lot of parents often have with their black children. Yeah, that, that struck me a lot. And it also struck me, um, because I, when you guys sent that to me, and you asked some really, really good questions in that interview, um, that he, it struck me that he, um, when he talked about what they do when they bring police officers in to talk about how to handle a traffic stop, that, mm-hmm. you know, even though I know all of those things intellectually about, you know, you hear about people's, the stories people tell about talking to their kids about, especially black parents, about how to handle it when you get stopped by police, just all of these things that they have to do and, and, and to, to just avoid a conflict and, and that it really hits you, you know, if it, if you, if, even if you're aware, it's just like, wow, you know, (laughs) you can't have any human moment in that interaction where you show frustration or or get angry, or maybe you have your your registration in a place where you have to dig around for it. He mentioned that like, yeah, having it in one central location, you don't have to dig around for. And you know what? That was striking to me. But what struck me even more and first was Lavelle Moten saying that part of their practice, they cut out time so that they can role play the interactions with police. And when he said that, I just was completely mind blown because I, it didn't even cross my mind that like that, it was so necessary. And, and with Nate saying how, you know, they brought police officers in to, to, you know, talk to them, but just like the two of those scenarios, taking time out of practice to do this, like, I I don't know, it, it really, it really struck me. Yeah. And Nate, you know, it's funny, Nate had said he's not big into Twitter. And I noticed Mm -hmm. that when I went through his Twitter, like he would go months (laughs) in between tweets. But he, you know, he sort of took to Twitter about, you know, almost a week after George Floyd died and the protests were really getting into full swing. And I think, you know, he said it enough is enough. And and when he was on with you guys, he talked a lot about needing white support, too, like you said. And, you know, I think that's so true. And, And it's been really refreshing and and fascinating to see both coaches and athletes sort of speaking up to varying degrees and and sort of using their voice. I think the most striking example, and since this is an ACC podcast recently, would be Marvin Wilson at Florida State. Um, uh, For context, I'm sure most of everybody who would listen to this would know, but Mike Norvell had said to to Sean Reed at The Athletic that he had had one-on-one conversations with um, everybody on the team about everything that had happened. And Marvin Wilson was immediately like, no, you sent out a form text basically to everybody. <laughs> right. That's a lie. And, and what I, but what struck me about that wasn't calling out the lie as much as it was, although that did strike me. And it also struck me that he said, and we won't be working out until further notice. Mm-hmm. And I, that just, you know, I think you've seen some other athletes say some similar things. I know at least one Texas football player had said something like he didn't see how he could play with all of this going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder if we're starting to see athletes sort of finding their voices and realizing the power that they have and sort of where where they sit in this in this system um, that's designed to value them for their athleticism and m- not always everything else. And when I tell you that I am so excited about this, like I hate the circumstances that these student athletes or professional athletes have found how strong and powerful their voice is. But I am so excited for what's to come as a result of it. There are high school, you know, D1 prospects, you know, saying, you know what, well, maybe an HBCU isn't so bad or maybe I should look elsewhere and, and make sure that the coach I'm going to play for understands to a degree what life looks like for me and how they're going to make sure I'm taken care of. I think that we're starting to see like, not only like when you were talking earlier about, you know, this really historic time that we're in, I think it's going to have just like a lasting effect. That's going to just permeate way different avenues. And I think, 
you know, the, the power of the athlete is going to be one of them. Yeah. It's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting thing to discuss with like the HBCU thing, because, you know, Lavelle Moten in the past has talked about how John Wall was real close to going there um, instead of Kentucky. And people Mm -hmm. might hear that and scoff, but John Lavelle was, you know, like a family member to him and, and, had Lavelle not been so early in his process at Central, John might have done that. And John, you know, maybe he doesn't go number one overall, maybe because he's, you know, at an HBCU and the and right. stereotype, you know, that that's not a place where, you know, they don't, I don't know that the NBA scouts would look down upon that and be like, well, of course he can dominate the HBCU level, but what's he going to mm-hmm. do in the NBA? He was still going to get picked and have a successful NBA career and flourish at the NBA level. Um, and who knows, maybe he still does go number one overall, you know, I mean, we don't know that. And I, I think it's interesting, um, to think about how that changes the trajectory that we're on. If that happens, you know, right. if maybe others follow suit and, and say, you know what, I can go to an HBCU with a coach that maybe I do have a relationship with, or that I believe has my best interests at heart. But I also don't necessarily, you know, and I'm sure you feel this. Well, I I shouldn't say I'm sure you feel this way, but (laughs) because I don't know. But, you know, there I understand why some athletes feel like they it's almost like a business relationship. Right. Right. Up until this point where it's like, I know I'm going to get the best platform I can get at school X. So even if I feel like this coach is a little, you know, problematic in some ways, I know he's going to get me and you know get me drafted right. I'll, have, I'll get that I'll have that nutritionist I'll have the the workout you know places that I need so that I can become this athlete that I need to be and you know I, I get that and it was it's more so just introducing the idea that what has always mm-hmm. been the path doesn't have to be that way and it's right it, it's hell and it starts with that player that athlete saying you know, I don't have to necessarily go this route. I can, you know, introduce other, you know, methods to get me to where I want to be. Yeah. And I still, honestly, I still think it takes a lot of bravery to do what Marvin Wilson did, because if that goes south and say Mike Norvell puts out some mealy mouthed apology or whatever, mm-hmm. in, instead of, you know, doing presumably what it seems like he did, then you know, he could have, Marvin could have put, you know, back that up and said, I'm not playing. And we all know how the NFL powers that be probably would have looked at that. Yeah. I think, well, and it's, it's not even just, I guess on his level, but just like everyone that has spoken out and has challenged other people. Cause I don't know, it just feels a little bit different. It feels like everyone is, it's not, yes. and I, I don't know if this is the right word for it, but bucking, like kind of bucking the system. And it's like, try me. Try me if you want to, and, and I love yeah. that that um, that like I guess courage or that bravery that it takes to to make statements like that. Yeah, I I, I just it was interesting to me to see Mike Norvell's response, and we've seen some you know Mia Culpa's like with what happened at Clemson and and sort of the stuff coming out of there, and we just see we've also seen coaches issue statements as well about everything that's going on, and they've they've really kind of ranged in terms of what we've seen, but um, where some some address brutality directly and racism, some don't, and just sort of use some of the same platitudes that we've seen. Um, you know, in other places. But I thought Mike Norvell's response really struck me in a lot of ways. Um, one of which was just that he he said Marvin is right. And I, I think he clarified it by saying he did send the text out to everybody. Um, but, it, you know, and he did get responses from a lot of them. Um, but he didn't talk to everybody. And he, he should, you know, words matter, I think he also wrote, and especially now. And I, I, that struck me a lot because you, you see a lot of these half apologies that that get kind of defensive um, and and put the onus back on on everybody else. And, and this, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but this struck me as him really owning, you know, the mistake yeah, that he I, made. Yeah, I think so. But what it also does is kind of expose when people think they're putting in the work. You send a text message to everyone and you consider that a one-on-one. That's not putting in the work to dismantle racism or to, to get an understanding of the lives that your student athletes live. So you stop short. Yeah. And now it's like, you know what? He's right. I didn't put in the work. I thought that post on social media was enough. I thought me sharing this link was enough. It's not enough. And I think because he got, you know, not necessarily caught like, you know, red handed, but essentially, yes, you got caught. And now you're you have a lint like a magnifying glass on what the work actually looks like. Yeah. And and I think just from that alone, I think he learned 
a lot. And I think it, it seemed like his players got way more out of that meeting that they finally had with him, you know, in person, just to hash some things out and talk about it, you know, than they did probably out of the text, even though I think some did respond to the text and, and want to have a dialogue. But, you know, and it's also like, hey, don't use it as a shield is the wrong way. But that's how it came across initially. Right. When you found out it wasn't true was like, oh, well, OK, you you basically are, you know, acting like, oh, I've talked to everybody on. The-. You're trying to make your work seem like something it wasn't as well you know like and that's that almost seems more insidious than not doing anything in some ways um but yeah i didn't know i mean you've probably seen a lot of the statements that have come out i mean i know here locally a lot of carolina players have been talking about how they feel really valued by mac brown which is great to hear and that he's been doing a lot of listening with them and and letting them share experiences and, and i know um I know NC State's been doing something where their athletes are talking on social media and holding up names of people killed um, by police brutality. Um, and but what what have you, what have, has, has anything stuck out to you in terms of what you've seen some of these statements made or or you know how they've been well, worded? Yeah, or like actually, that? and it's funny you bring up Mac Brown because I was unimpressed with his statement. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, and I, I guess I should have had it up there. But he used a lot of the language that I felt like was the the easy, the easy thing to say, you know, yeah, we want everyone to be treated mm-hmm. fairly. Hey, we want to fight against, you know, hatred and stuff like that. And like, yeah, but like, can you, like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like a lot of the statements that have come from programs and organizations are like these canned crisis responses. Like, I don't know if you mm-hmm. like, so in social media work, you have to be ready for uh, reputation management, crisis management. You have a list of scenarios that could happen and you have a prepared like, you know, way to, to combat it. And it feels like they just look through the file folder, grab up oh, police brutality. Okay, let's grab this one. And you and then you post it. It's like nobody wants to go without saying anything, but nobody wants to go super in depth and say something. And his, honestly, I was not super impressed. I'm glad that he put out a statement. I know we were all waiting on pins and needles for Coach K to finally say something. But ultimately, like if you're if you're not like explicitly saying that you believe that or acknowledge that the black community faces X, Y, and Z, I don't know if I really want to to listen and believe like what you have to say. Like I don't know. I just feel like it just doesn't come off as genuine or authentic to me. And yeah, Deami Brown, he posted on um, his Twitter, uh, was it like two days ago? And it was a picture of him on the court being celebrated by fans. And his caption was like, sometimes I think this is the only time they really care about my life. And like, that's so like, you know, so vulnerable and very true for some people. They, just because of who they are, they are, you know, praised by many. But like, that's the only time is when it's in the confines of that field or that court. And so when it, when the coaches and the programs come out with these blanket statements that are supposed to somehow show what side they're on, it doesn't seem like it's very, uh, very true. Was, I guess, was there anyone that stood out in a positive way? To you? Uh, UConn's women, women's basketball team. They went, give mm. me a, let me pull it up because I, I was really impressed with that one. And I know we're, this is an ACC podcast, so. It's okay. I'm just it's like okay. not at all advising by that. No, no, no. This is okay. It's a, it's totally fine to not stick to ACC yeah. in times like this. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, and so it's yeah. a pretty lengthy uh, statement. But what pops out for me, it's the hashtag Black Lives Matter. A lot of people shy away from that one part in particular, and you know about the controversy of the All Lives Matter, and when people say that, they dismiss the Black Lives Matter. So that part is very important to me. Um, but the statement says like, as a team, we are speaking out and advocating for the black community and the injustices. Like, I think just that acknowledgement and then condemning it and, and saying the police brutality, like those very, like, I guess those, those, uh, was it trigger words or keywords or, you know, something like that. Like, those are the statements I want to hear because I want you to, I want to know that you understand that the injustice that black people, or not that you would understand it, but that you acknowledge that it exists for certain people of certain communities. Right. Like the, the canned statements, I think they strike you sometimes as the way some certain 
white people um, invoke Martin oh, Luther yeah. King Jr., where <laughs> there's sort of a, a, a very... Because, what, you know, what's interesting is like Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks are probably the only civil rights leaders that I remember really learning about uh-huh. in high school. And you get a very specific presentation of what they were about, you know, and it's not, you know, when you get older and start to get educated more and, and maybe do some of your own reading, you find out that it wasn't so simple as like, oh, he changed the world through nonviolence. It's like you don't. But even then, when saying. you lay it you out like that, you know, suppose, I mean, this nonviolence, he was still shot and killed. Right. Yes, by the government. It's the wrong way to do it. Go about it a different way. There is. Well, not by the government, but well, was it by the government? But he was still surveilled by the government and considered like an enemy of the state, essentially. And he was, I mean, I think somebody said it the other day, at the time of his death, he was like one of the most polarizing or hated figures in the country. So it wasn't as if he was doing all of this work and every every white person at the time was like, oh, yes, we totally understand what you're doing here. Thank you, sir, for your peaceful yeah. protesting. Like, that's not what was happening. And, and I think that there is almost this weird... Narrative of of that time of like oh yeah you know everybody saw what he was doing and they were all inspired by him and 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 everybody got on board or at least the majority of people got on board except for like the KKK and like the abject racists and that's just not yeah. the case. And so yeah, I think sometimes when you see some of those buzzwords, at least that's what I think of is like the 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 I don't know what you call it the whiteization of <laughs> Martin Luther King like well the, I think the absence of sure. them may give way it's like oh look i'm not offending anybody because i'm talking about equality for all but if you're if you're specific if you're not specifically saying that you there is inequality with the way black people are treated versus other you know groups then like i don't know that you get it like i think that you're intentionally not saying certain things and i think that i don't know for me it's important when when people can recognize that yeah i think it's weird when the bar I think in, in our times right now is almost, has almost become like, Oh, if you're willing to address this at all, wow, that's a positive because now you're not worried about upsetting people that think you're like anti-police or anti-this or anti-that or pro this or pro that. Like, it's weird that that's how low the bar is, but in a sense, it it kind of is. Like, I I remember being almost surprised that some people were issuing statements at all. And that's sad. (laughs) Like, that's where my my bar was of what I expected to see. And, And I totally, you're right about what you're saying. It's like, what you know, it has become, especially in the last few days, increasingly corporatized of like, let's stick to the buzzwords. Um, you mentioned when we talked to you about what you thought about what Tom Herman at Texas had to say. And it, I know it's an ACC podcast, but it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And so he brought up a really good point um, about how fans will love or they'll watch them on TV or in the stands and they're going to cheer for these black athletes when they perform well, you know, for their sport. But he poses the questions like, but are we going to let them date our daughter? Are we going to hire them in a position of power in our company? And he was saying, you know, that's the way, that's the question he has because you can't have it both ways. You can't cheer and love and support the, the person on this team, but then in the real world or outside of athletics, you know, you discriminate against them. I think that that's the question. A yeah. lot of white people are going to need to ask themselves, do you see these players differently just because they're they don't have that uniform on? Do you treat people like them differently? Right. Yeah, and I think that's that's been something really I think one thing that's going to inevitably come out of this is that fans have always viewed sports as an escape and and, and there are sports where the athletes are largely black and you know whenever i mean just look at what happened with colin kaepernick whenever anybody steps out of line it's like it's this affront upon their sanctity and their safe space of like sports being their escape and whenever anybody proves to be a human being in any real way it's like we can't grapple with that um and i think that that aspect of it does extend to athletes you know, of all races, like they're not human to certain people. It just becomes, but in this instance, it becomes like, Hey, these people are humans and they're dealing with this right now. Um, 
and I think it's fascinating if we see more and more guys speak up because like I was, no, you know, Marcus Page, that's a guy that was at North Carolina and was like viewed as this beloved player who, you know, all of the fan base mm-hmm. just adored and 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 thought of as this guy that, oh, they would, you know, they, they would look at him as I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. That's not um, like the respectable yeah. black guy. Right. Like, like the one they'd, oh, I'd let that guy date my daughter in a second. You know, he's, he speaks so well, you know, he's, (laughs) it's, he's that type of kid. And even Marcus, uh, the other day, I, I favored the tweet. He, uh, he tweeted out a thread of police violence and, uh, and he, he didn't hold back. He said a whole GD thread of police violently beating, brutalizing, gassing, and terrorizing people protesting police violence. Let yet some of y'all go to great lengths to either defend this trash emoji or change the narrative. And that's that's not a thing that Marcus Page would have said while he was in school at North Carolina. It's just not. It, and, and he's not alone. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people are feeling increasingly empowered yeah, to say and I something. I appreciate that um, with student athletes. I think you also kind of touched on something that I don't think gets talked about enough. And it's not just the good black people that are deserving of human rights and basic human rights. Right. Somebody can be a terrible person and not terrible in the sense of like they commit crimes against other people, but just like a bad person that, you know, a traffic stop, you know, or drug uh offenses or something. I think those are the things that need to be looked at a little bit more closely. A lot of times we see like guys getting in trouble or, you know, black women getting in trouble. And then we think, oh, look, they're troublemakers. So they deserve whatever's coming to them. And it's, I I don't think that we should be looking at it that way. Someone shouldn't have to be a gold star student to be deserving of basic human rights. No, but what was interesting to me about Marcus saying that, and even some of the responses I was reading, you know, to his tweet was like, if somebody like that says that, that's somebody that really forces you to grapple with any preconceived notions that you have about, because this that's a guy that you felt differently about than almost any kind of player, black or white. You know, you ask almost any Carolina fan and they hold him in extremely high regard. And I completely understand why. Um, but, but there are still plenty of Carolina fans and plenty of fans and other fan bases that have these, you know, entrenched, biases and narratives in their mind about how the world really is. And I loved that Marcus, of all people, was one to sort of shatter that, I guess, is the maybe that's the wrong way of putting it, but like force them mm-hmm. to confront that, you know, force them to deal with the fact that if you're going to root for me and love me because of my sport, you're also going to have to deal with the fact that I have these opinions yeah. as a black man. And I, I thought that was really important and powerful for him to say that because like like you said he's not the only person deserving of respect because he's you know the eloquent black guy that is a good student but but it also doesn't give white people an excuse Mm. to run away you know and and assume that like oh well he's he's a typical whatever they think typical black people are because he's not that so now you no longer have an excuse to look away and to say like this doesn't matter when a guy that you supposedly respect as much as you respect him is saying what he's saying and um you know it's it's an interesting thing to me that i think fans are going to have to confront when it comes to these athletes and i've seen i've seen some pretty innocuous tweets by athletes or at least i thought they were fairly innocuous be responded to especially black athletes be responded to with with vitriol and like stick to sports and it's like this is their life that's that's the thing you cannot take humanity out of their sport like there's no way you can separate the two and i think for far too long we've we've had this idea where sports is my getaway from no sports isn't it's it's part of our life you don't get to leave this aspect of you know, a person that's playing a sport out of just the game because it's the very thing that may even have them in that game to begin with. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about it like that, but yeah, no, that's true. And, you know, they, they've been treated a certain way their entire lives as a commodity. And that's true of a lot of, you know, a lot of black people, frankly, but certainly athletes in that you exist to do this, you know? And and the thing, I mean, just kind of like thinking about it, I haven't thought like too, I'm like just thinking as I talk, but like, you know, the, the athletes who, who took to their sport to get them out of a, a situation they were in or, you know, poverty or, you know, 
drugs in their neighborhood. So they were wrapped up in sports to keep them out of that environment. That environment is in place for groups of people that look like me on purpose. So you cannot separate those two. The reason that he's playing basketball to begin with is because the neighborhood he lives in um, is a food desert or does have a high volume of drugs going on. You know what I mean? Like you just can't take that out of it. And I think when fans think about their sport, they don't consider who these people are. They don't, they're, you know, we were talking about earlier, they don't think of them as humans and like, that's just unrealistic. And I really hope that's, you know, something that changes coming out of this, uh, I guess, time that we're in. Yeah. I think it's for lack of a better way of putting it, I think it's time and the time is coming for sports to start making people uncomfortable. Um, and, and athletes to start making people uncomfortable and fans having to deal with what that means. I don't think that they're going to be able to watch sports. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think they're not going to be able to watch and consume sports and not have to confront some of this. Yeah, I agree. I, but it's a good thing. It's a, That's the thing when it comes to yes. all, like racism in general. Um, you're going to have to be met with it. You have to confront it and whatever boiling point it reaches. And in this case, it seems like the murder of George Floyd, um, coupled with Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, like we reached a breaking point and now we are confronting you with your systemic racism, social injustice and police brutality. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can't look away and, and you shouldn't. And, um, it's, I think it's a really interesting time we're in. Um, David Hale, actually, from ESPN, he's been a guest on here before. He's been talking to a lot of athletes, I think, behind the scenes and, you know, getting their opinions on some things. And and he he said something that struck him. And I saw this last night and it struck me, too, was um, and not not just true for black athletes, but for everybody is that we we refer to them as kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm guilty of this. Like I do that. And I think it's partially because I look at the way. I look back at the way I was at that age and I view myself as like young and naive and not a good decision maker. And, but I also didn't have the same collegiate experience that these guys do. And I think in a lot of ways they're forced to kind of grow up a lot faster and, and they have opinions and and things that they want to express. And, um, they're, it's, in a way, calling them kids, I feel like for me was like a natural defense mechanism towards them when I think fans expect a certain kind of behavior from them all the time and hold them up to this kind of standard of like, well, you're a student athlete at my school. You should always act like this. You should always do this. You should be able to juggle school and, do, you know, da, 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 and all of these things without any context of what their lives are and what their age is and, and you know. I think about how foolishly I acted at that age and I think that that's unfair. And so I think I do that in a weird way to be defensive of them and to not have people go after them on social media and things like that. But, you know, they're right. I mean, they, they, they're adults, they're legal adults, you know, and it, it, in a way just call them kids is more trivializing and, and doesn't take them. Yeah. Seriously, I think I, I, I certainly am guilty of calling them a kid, just like in talking um, when we refer to them, but I think, I think you're on to so. I think you're right. I think maybe we do need to start, like, you know, if we think about the athlete in this way and the power that they have, they, I don't, I think it is a, it's wrong for us to trivialize them, like, you know, calling them things like kids and, and, and such. I, I'm really on this, like, I'm a big, uh, athletes kind of person. Um, I bring that to our show. I'm yeah. always defending, you know, my generation, younger generation. You are. It's, it's really entertaining <laughs> on that front. But a lot of it is because I do not like the way that we view our student athletes or athletes in general. I think a lot of times they are, it's like, um, you know, we, tr- there are slaves, you know, the fans, like you do what we want you to do. And when you don't perform to the, to the degree that we want you to, you're out of here. And I think that because I've never truly liked that, I mean, obviously I don't like that dynamic. I've always been the advocate for the player. And it's mostly on like, you know, very basic stuff like, you know, going bowling when you can't practice because you have the flu. Um, Like, you know, I advocate for uh, like the player's rights to do whatever. um, Well, not necessarily whatever, but I think translating that to much more serious issues, I think that it's important that we see them for people, you know, not just kids like, oh, you don't understand or, or they're, you know, just kids doing dumb things like. Nope. They're, they're adults. Like you, you said, they're adults, they're young adults, but they're still adults. They have thoughts and feelings and, you know, I think deserve that respect. 
Yeah. And often pretty well-formed ones as well. Um, because you do learn a lot in college, you know, through especially as your time goes on and your perspective changes a lot. I know mine did um, dramatically by going to college, and I'm sure theirs does too. Um, yeah, I, it's, I guess I think that's about all that I had that I wanted to get to. But, um, you know, I, I'm I'm really glad that you were there. You were at the Durham protest, right? So, like, I that was a, I was the two. It's interesting. You've been to both. Yeah, so That's right. You did say Saturday, that. I want to say. I don't know. Days run. You can. Do you know that days are just like, I don't even oh, know what God. time it is. I don't know what day it is. Um, this is the longest <laughs> month of my life. Yeah. So I think it was Saturday. I went to the protest in downtown Raleigh. I think then I think it was Monday or Tuesday. I think it was. There was a protest in Durham and I attended that one as well. It seems like there's been a lot of differences in terms of the way that those have gone. Um, but that's just me following on Twitter. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was at both two, one, you know, one in Raleigh, one in Durham. And yes, they went very much different kind of ways. It's, I, I guess that's partially because of the police response or maybe even Well, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but a couple of things. Uh, we talked to the police chief of Morrisville, who is well connected with um, the police chiefs of Raleigh and Durham. And she says that there, you know, she couldn't necessarily speculate on it, but she did find out there were some things that were not happening at the Durham one that was happening at the Raleigh one that forced police to use tear gas and rubber bullets. Or I'm not sure if they use rubber bullets, but I know tear, after the third tear gas canister went off, I was out of there. I was like, I'm good. I'm gonna catch y'all on the flip side. So there are things Did that you happened get that caused the police to use tear gas, apparently. Right. Yeah. Uh, did you get any? No, I um, was far enough back oh, uh, where I wasn't affected by it. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, yeah, like I said, this is just me watching via Twitter and it's just, it's crazy. I feel like I can't look away. I haven't, I haven't been sleeping as much because it's like you just keep following everything that's happening and, you know, trying to check back to see, I know like somebody took a bullet to the head oh, in yeah. Texas and he's that, so in a coma. That video is so alarming. People have lost their to eyes as, too because the, yep. you know, they've been yeah. hit with uh, some of that stuff. It's really interesting to see the media response too, because that's something that I think the media, a lot of times for a lot of reasons, um, not all necessarily nefarious ones, but has sort of just gone with the police mm. narrative of things. Um, like I said, there's a lot of reasons behind that, but now that they're some of the ones out there getting hit with right. some of this stuff, <laughs> you see it. Right. I have a new view <laughs> on some things. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. You touched on the police chief. And I think it, I, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole here because this is sports and I understand that. But I think it is worth and people can do their research. There's a lot of information out there. It's also it's worth considering that police chiefs can play a big role, but they don't often have as much power as mm -hmm. we think that they do. Um, and police unions are a very powerful entity across the nation right now. And um they often a police chief can fire a, a cop that they don't think is doing their job correctly and, and often get overruled um, yeah. by a union structure that is designed to, you know, protect jobs of even people that do bad things. And um, that's that's something that's worth remembering, because I've seen sometimes people being like this police chief needs to be fired. And it's like, well, <laughs> not yeah. quite that simple. Um so but there's a lot of research and reading I think we all can be doing to just sort of educate ourselves in, on the systems that are in place, not just police wise, but like you said, systems that have been in place in this country for a long time that were lit quite literally designed to keep certain people where um, they're at. Keep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I actually was listening to the Throughline podcast yesterday. It's an NPR podcast and they were talking about um, the history of policing in our country and they talked about the Chicago race riots and i had never like there were so many incidences i've never heard of and i was so i was kind of embarrassed by that that i didn't know about it but it, it's not something that we're taught in yeah. u.s history class and so we do have to educate ourselves on on what that is and how black people weren't allowed to buy houses in certain areas and um weren't allowed to hold certain jobs and slave patrols is where our our police force started that's 
you know, that 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 was the genesis of it was people trying to track the movements of slaves that were doing work for their masters. And, you know, it sort of evolved from there into I'm not saying that it's the same thing now. I'm not trying to suggest that, but I'm just saying that's that's the history of it. Like, that's literally. Well, you know, reading and, and finding out the history and everything. Yes, that's so important. But I think the disconnect happens when you jump to 2020, you say that's not happening now so that none of that exists. But I think you have to look at the ways it affects it. So when you go from slavery, you know, being abolished to Jim Crow, like segregation and things like that, like that trickles down. And that's why we say they are still effects of slavery today. Some people will dismiss, you know, those being reasons why, you know, black people or the employment rate for black people are so high, or unemployment rate, excuse me, is so high compared to that of their white counterparts and things like that and education all of that trickles down. And if you don't follow it, you'll, you'll fall victim to saying that's not an issue. Like slavery, get over it. It was a thing of the past. Yeah. And the, you know, that's, it's something where there were windows in time too, where freed slaves maybe could have had the kinds of opportunities that white people did. And, and usually those opportunities were taken away. Um, at some point and laws were changed to sort of adjust to when black people started to do well for themselves and to flourish. And that's something that's been documented throughout history as well. Um, Tulsa, which is something I didn't even know about until last year. (laughs) Yeah. And I was embarrassed by that, but like, again, that's not a thing that you get taught in history class and it is an important part of our history in the context of, of the world we live in right now and why it's not taught. I honestly don't know. I, I have, I, well, I do kind of know, but it's also like, that's so important for where we yeah. are. Right and, and, now. and just the last thing on this, cause I know we've gotten away from, you know, the sports aspect of things, but when you think about what you're taught in school, there's one group that's taught a very small bit about themselves. And then there's another group who's taught a whole lot of stuff. So imagine what you take on year by year, thinking that you've done, your people have done all of these great things and where you go into the world with this just confidence of who you are because you learned all about yourself and you, and, and then you didn't learn about some other group as much as there's information for Right. That's exactly right. And yeah. And, and the, the lessons that white people take yeah. away from that as well. Like, you know, you don't stop to think about where are the black people when we're taking these history classes. You don't stop to think about that until you start to learn all of these things that happened and all who all of these people were that, that paved the way and did all of these things. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> like there's a whole other history of this country that right. we don't know about. Um, and it's it's crazy to think about. But anyway, yeah, like you said, we got off topic, but. It's cool. Um, remind everybody where they can find you and listen to you and uh, yeah, find all your follow stuff. me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at the Girl Fritz. I am on the Sports Shop Monday through Friday, seven to ten a.m. on Buzz Sports Radio locally. That's ninety nine point three FM in Raleigh, ninety six point five FM in Durham, and we have links to stream if you are not in the Triangle. All on our social media. Yeah. Yep, and um, yeah, <laughs> that, I think that about covers it, but. All right. Uh, thank you so much. This won't be the last time Thanks that you'll be on me. because I'm so you're excited some- that I was able to join your party. <laughs> I hated that this is like, and I even texted you this. I'm like, I hate that this is the first right, time you're coming on this podcast. Maybe the next time I have you, we will have um, more sports yeah. to discuss. Um, um, all right. Well, that is Jasmine Fritz. I'm Lauren Brownlow. Um, Until next week, everybody.